You ever had that moment where you open the door and you walk in and it's like the wafting smell greets you and gives you a hug. And you just instantly feel warmer. You feel embraced because you've walked into a bakery. Can I get an amen? Maybe it's Harvest Bakery where you walk in and you look behind the glass and, and the, the cinnamon rolls are as big as your head and you're like, can I really finish that? Maybe two. There's something about a bakery, isn't there? There's something about bread. Now, if you're gluten-free, I'm sorry. Jesus will wipe every tear in heaven. Um, but for the rest of us, it's just, anyone ever walked by a Cinnabon? Just, oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about uh, just breadsticks at Olive Garden? Yeah. Red lobster, the cheesy bread. You break the, the steam comes up. It's just, whew. Texas Roadhouse rolls. It's just buttery, just, it's just delicious. I guess we should pray and go out. Um, but <laughs> bread has this amazing way of just kind of, I remember coming home from school and my mom had one of those automated bread makers. You ever seen those? And she would make bread, like it would be fresh baked and, and like it would be steaming as I walked in the door and then she'd like cut it and serve me. And I was like, I'm just shy of heaven right now. I don't know if you've had these moments, but it's interesting you can have the smell of bread, but there's just something better about eating it, digesting it, taking it in. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, meaning it's better to digest it, eat it, take it in versus just smelling it. And I want you to kind of keep that in mind tonight as we continue in our series, Believe, looking through the gospel of John, because in this particular chapter, John chapter six, so if you have your Bible, you can go there. If you wanna follow sermon notes, you can open up the app and go down and follow along with that. But John chapter six is a, a powerful chapter. It's chocked full of a lot of insight. It starts with this incredible sign, this miracle. Remember, John points to miracles and signs because they're pointing to Jesus about to his deity and to his power and to who he really is, not just the good stuff he could do but to the reality of who he is. And so uh, he begins to, to kind of point to this. Remember, he said at the very end of his gospel account, he said, look, I, I want you to understand that what I'm writing about is to cause you to believe. Like it's to cause a reaction, a choice in you. That Jesus did many other signs, many other miracles in the presence of disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of God and that by believing, by keeping believing, don't stop believing. Maybe you've heard that. That you may have life in his name. And so John's wanting us to understand that. And so in this particular story, what's interesting, it's, it's the only miracle or sign that we see in all four gospels other than the resurrection. That it's the only miracle that's recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's interesting. It's significant. In fact, John, if you read through the end of chapter six, which we'll touch on tonight, actually helps you understand why. And why I think every single 
disciple that wrote a gospel recorded this particular story that unfolded around bread. And so in John chapter six, here's how it begins to play out. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they had seen the signs that he had been performing in healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, why is that sentence there? Well, it's going to tell you that it's springtime, okay? So the, the, the Passover is close and nearby. It's coming up on the calendar. They're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and I remember being on the Sea of Galilee a few years back and uh, our guide kind of pointing to a hillside, kind of saying, we think this might be where Jesus fed the 5,000. And you can see where they're kind of springtime. You see the grass on the hillside and you can kind of picture it in your mind of like, yeah, this would accommodate this many people. It's the feeding of the 5,000, but really they only counted 5,000 men. So you go to think about it. Okay, it's it's really probably more like 15,000 plus because they probably had a plus one and maybe a kid in tow and, and all this. And so it's a massive crowd of people. And we have to understand, okay, why is Jesus crossing over to the other side? That's important to understand. And we see from the other gospel writers as they record a couple different things that part of it was Mark talks about ministry had been going kind of fast and furious in a lot of ways and disciples really didn't even have time to eat. And kind of, you ever been in a season at your job where it was just like, go, 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 go. And you're like, you're just, you're getting worn out. That was them. It was also a time of maybe grief as they had uh, recorded that John the Baptist had been beheaded and and Jesus is maybe really grieving. You ever had hard news delivered to you? And what you want in a moment is to kind of pull away, just to kind of regroup and and to get your mind around it. And so they're making their way to the other side and they, they get there, but they're not alone. There's a lot of people that show up. And in some ways, we begin to see in the life of Jesus, what we see often is that his heart is moved with compassion. And he has a heart for the people. In fact, compassion is the most described emotion of Jesus when you read through the gospel accounts. There's something about what moves the heart of Jesus is this compassion for the people because they're lost, they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And yet what you see from the disciples is maybe a different reaction to the people. Jesus, I thought we were getting away. I thought we were kind of moving away, kind of retreating a little bit. Like it's been busy. We've been going and going and going. And John the Baptist, it's just, oh, it's so hard. Can you feel the mixed emotions that might've been in this moment for the disciples, for Jesus? And so Jesus is there and anyone who had ever been kind of in a similar situations and, and what do you do in those moments? Well, Jesus responds, begins to, we see through the gospel accounts, all four of them recorded, that he begins to do more healings, begins to teach more, but they're there for a long time. And, and things begin to unfold and they begin to understand that uh, the good news that Jesus is preaching is really good news for these people who are feeling oppressed by a different kind of kingdom that's been lording it over them. And, and Rome and, and all these leaders and all the rules and regulations and boundaries that are put upon them and just this sense of a kingdom kind of oppressing them. And yet Jesus is speaking of a good king who's on the watch and on the move 
and that, that you are welcomed into his kingdom and under his reign and under his influence and under his blessing, that God's compassion is on the move and it's moving the hearts of people. And there's a lot of people that have shown up. And what they understood then is what we still understand now, that the brain can only take so much when the stomach is empty, right? Anyone ever had that feeling? You're like sitting in class and you're like, this is a great lecture by a wonderful person. This teacher loves me greatly, but I can't focus right now, right? And, and whatever it may be, you may be having that moment right now. <laughs> Ask your neighbor for a snack. No, it's just, but the reality, so this is what plays out. And then we read these words as Jesus has a conversation with Philip. He says, when Jesus looked up, verse five, saw a great crowd that's there, and he said to Philip, hey, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And here's Philip's response. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half of year's wages to buy enough bread for people to have a bite. I'm pretty sure you said it like that to Jesus, a little bold. And, and Jesus, I think, has this little grimace on his face, a little smile, a little smirk beginning to play out because he already knows what he's gonna do, but he's wanting to know the reaction from the disciples. What do you guys think we should do? And they're like, there's no way. The problem is too big. Like, Jesus, there's no way we could do this. Well, then Andrew steps up, verse eight. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brothers, spoke up and said, look, there's a small boy here who has five small barley loaves and two small fish, but Jesus, how far is that gonna go in this situation? Can you imagine being there? Could you imagine if Jesus turned to you and said, hey, David, uh, what do you think we should do? Hey, Mary, what do you think we should do? Mary, what do you think we should do? You know, Ivy, what do you think we should do in this moment? Like, could you imagine if Jesus is asking you maybe what your response, and quickly you start thinking through all your, okay, well, if we like got bread and like just like broken small pieces, if we just, I, uh, where's Circle K? Um, just like, you begin to think there's, there's no reason, there's no, seems to be any way for this to happen. Jesus is asking Philip, I think he's asking this question to get Philip to the end of his limit. Because there is no physical way for this to change. This is a challenge, but Jesus already has a plan. In the challenges that come your way, do you forget that your Savior already has a plan? In the challenges that come my way, how easy it is to forget that my Savior already has a plan. And maybe I don't have to be the only one to figure it out. And so the relief that can come with that, he may give us a choice from time to time. Hey, it doesn't matter, choose either one. He may be direct like he is in this story of, hey, I want you to choose this. I want you to go this way. See, what stresses you out doesn't stress Jesus out. Have you stopped to think about that? In a culture that, uh, if we're honest, and it was just you and me at coffee, I bet you'd be pretty honest to say, man, I get pretty stressed out pretty often. 
And even with the little things, like things that I, I shouldn't get stressed out about, things I've gone through before, but it, it's like it just ratchets it up and I get stressed out. Again, Jesus doesn't get stressed out. That's an amazing gift to know that your savior who walks with you through life doesn't get stressed out like you do. What was stirring commotion in the followers and Philip and Andrew, I think was bringing a smirk to Jesus's face. See, when you don't know what to do, let that drive you to the one who already knows what to do. That's this role of dependency. That's this call to say, I wanna come back and understand. See, what Andrew began to discover with, I found this little boy who has a, well, let's be honest what he had. He had a Lunchable. That's what he had. But Jesus, how far is a Lunchable gonna go with all these people? There's no way. Like there's four slices of turkey, there's a cookie we can split in half and maybe split the fry. Like there's no way it's gonna last. There's no way it's gonna stretch. There's no way it's gonna be for everyone. All we have is a Lunchable here. When I'm reading through uh, scholars, scholars have debated, okay, how did this play out? How did this miracle happen? Some have speculated, well, uh, Jesus kind of took that boy and, and, and he shared his lunch with a few people and that modeled what to do. And so therefore other people who had Lunchables shared with the people around them. No, I don't think that's how it played out. Uh, some people have speculated, well, maybe the disciples went early that day and bought a bunch of bread and they stuck it in a cave nearby. And then when all the people showed up, they kind of went and kind of formed this fireman chain of like bringing bread down out of the cave for people. And here's what I think happened. Exactly what it said happened. That there was one kid who had a Lunchable and he saw commotion going on and Andrew found him and he's like, well, I'll offer what I got. I don't know what you're gonna do with it, Jesus, but, but here's what I got. And Jesus said, that's enough. And you begin to read the rest of the story. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down, about 5,000 men were there. So we began to bring out more and more people. Jesus then looked and took the, the loaves, gave thanks and distributed those to the people seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Jesus took a boy's lunchable. He prayed and he gave it to his disciples and they continued to pass it out until everybody had their fill. This wasn't like hors d'oeuvres. You've been to a cocktail party or so where it's just like little, little sandwiches. Listen, that's not a meal, okay? Just give a meal. Don't, so it's not a snack. Jesus didn't give a snack here. He gave people to their fill that they were full. What Jesus can do with our lunchable size contribution is ridiculous. That's what you begin to see through the story, that our little contribution, God has a way of multiplying it. He does it with our energy when we give it to him. He does it with our finances when we give it to him. He does it when, with our time when we give it to him. He has a way of multiplying the impact that it can have when we look at it and go, it's just a lunchable, Jesus. How far can that go? And Jesus says, that's enough. 
That's all I need. Would you trust me with it? And so the question comes back to us in those moments is, will we be? See, scarcity isn't in Jesus' vocabulary, yet it is in the vocabulary of the human heart, my heart, your heart. That it's something that rattles around in there and we in ourselves scream, there will not be enough, Jesus. God, there's not gonna be enough. I don't know how you can want me to do this. There's not enough. And God says, if you trust me, there's enough. I can do a whole lot more than you think I can if you'll just bring it to me. Do you find it difficult to trust God? When he asks you, hey, would you offer up your Lunchable? Whatever that may be for you, will you trust me with that? Because I could use that, I can multiply that. See, Jesus had the power to make rocks bread. Even Satan knew that. In fact, that was the tactic he used in the temptation in the desert. Turn these stones into bread, Jesus. He knew that. See, Jesus, because we looked at chapter one, he is way bigger than you think he is. He was there when manna came down and fed a million plus people in the Exodus. He was there when Moses struck a rock and water came out enough for a million plus people in the desert. So scarcity isn't part of Jesus' vocabulary. He chose to work with a small gift from a little boy. And sometimes the greatest miracles can happen when we let go of something small and put it in possession of a big, big God who can do something with that. Andrew's words were interesting. He talks about barley loaf. See, this is bread that I bought a couple days ago. A barley loaf is not like this. A barley loaf was what poor people ate. It was a small, like Twinkie-sized kind of bread. Five loaves. And Jesus took that and multiplied it. That 15,000 plus people had their fill. It wasn't just an appetizer. It was something more. The small bread cakes were multiplied out. The fish, he goes on, when, we had, when they had enough to eat, verse 12, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over from those who had been eaten. This Jesus was present when Exodus people were fed and had their fill. It is never about how much we have to offer Jesus, but rather if we will offer whatever we have to Jesus. In those moments, will you offer your Lunchable? Will you be a person that says, Jesus, I may not have as much as what so-and-so has or so-and-so has, but the best I know how, I'm gonna give you what I have. And I'm gonna trust that you can do something with that a whole lot better than I could do with that. And that you can leverage that, you can multiply that for your kingdom's sake and for your glory and for your story in a way that I could never do in and of myself. It's never about how much you have to offer Jesus. It's about whether you will offer it to him. I remember being on the Navajo reservation when I was 19, 20 years old as an intern at a church I was working at. We were there doing kind of a VBS kids camp and, and uh, so I'm somewhat in charge and, and John Orico, I love John Orico, a short Italian man, uh, probably almost as wide as he was tall, just loved life and he was our cook and John knew how to cook. 
Let me tell you, John, Italian John, knew how to cook. And so one night we were there and we were having about 100 people, we figured. And so he had gotten some steaks and some bread and some, uh, some hot dogs and all that kind of stuff and filled up this cooler, right? And we had planned about 100 people. And 350 people showed up. And I remember looking at John and John was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. We're in the Navajo reservation. We're two hours from a grocery store. We don't know what to do. And so I remember John getting a few leaders together and we prayed. God, here's what we got. Uh, help. That was the prayer. Maybe a few other words. And here's what I remember. Uh, at the end of the night, going back and talking to John and him going like this, like every Italian man, I don't know what happened. And we were like, what happened? He's like, every time I went back to the cooler, it was full. And I know I just pulled out like half of it. And I'd go back and it was full. And I'd go back and it was full. And I was like, wait, 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 you're, you, we didn't go shopping? He's like, no, we didn't go shopping. And we planned for 100, 350 showed up. The cooler never emptied. I don't know what to tell you, I don't know what happened other than Jesus. And in that moment, for a 19, 20 year old, I was like, what? Like that doesn't just happen. Like we should have run to fries. Like someone should have airlifted something in and yet what we saw is God do a miracle. He's in the business of doing that. I hope we see more and more of that. But I know it grew John's heart that day. And I know it grew my heart that day. Jesus brings fulfillment. That's what he talks about in John 10. I've come that you may have life and life to the full. Jesus doesn't just bring a spiritual appetizer. He brings fullness of who he is that we might be filled. Jesus isn't a just enough kind of God. He is a more than enough kind of God. And that's what we begin to see over and over. God is able to do a lot with a very small amount. Will you trust him with your Lunchable? It's not how much you have. It's are you willing to trust him with it? And that's the challenge for us. The passage, the kind of story ends with this. After the people saw the sign, Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to the mountain by himself. See, another reason you can say and know with confidence that this actually really happened is that the people rose up in that moment and wanted to crown him king to overthrow Rome right then and there. And Jesus goes, that's not my mission. I'm not here to overthrow Rome. I'm here to overthrow something way bigger. And so he retreats. He sends the disciples down to the sea. They wait a long time for Jesus as he's kind of retreated away to pray. Got a lot going on. A lot of ministry happened, probably exhausted. A lot of prayer. Disciples get in a boat and they take off. You can read the rest of John. The storm comes up and Jesus comes walking out on water. I don't know if you've ever done that. I tried on my pool cover one time. Didn't work out too well. But Jesus just walking across the waves, 
gets in the boat with the disciples, suddenly they're on the other side and the day is unfolding and the crowds catch up because they understand, hey, Jesus went that way and he's a miracle worker. I got dinner for free out of a Lunchable. So I'm gonna travel with that guy. And so they show up. In fact, if you read the rest of John chapter six, here's what you're gonna find. Jesus fed 5,000 plus people and there was a whole lot of fans of Jesus. And in a few short hours, they find him again. And they begin to have a conversation. And Jesus preaches the hardest sermon he's ever preached. And everybody left. What? Jesus just did this incredible miracle. And he preaches the hardest sermon he's preached. I'll read you bits and pieces of it. He goes, you have to understand that in a musical term, uh, maybe this feeding of the 5,000 would be this incredible crescendo, right? And then followed by the end of chapter six where it goes into this deafening silence or selah. And there's nothing. And what do you do with it? The dissonance would have been amazing to see and witness. And here's some of the words that he said. He gets to the other side. Once the crowd realized that he wasn't there, they go to find him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, how'd you get here? Well, that's a story. But Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because of the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and you had your fill. That's why you're seeking after me. Then they ask, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Here's the work that God requires, that you believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign will you give us to prove that you're him or that, that you're, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness? God gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that came down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, give us this bread. Jesus said, I'm that bread. I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those who have given to me, but raise them up in the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. You skip down a few verses, verse 46. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. He begins talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood and people are like, whoa, I just came for the bread. Like that was good, do that again, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't, know. you don't get it. That was a miracle, it was a sign to point you to me. I'm the bread of life. You need me. You can get lunch anywhere. What you need is me. And Jesus begins teaching. And it was so hard about this. At this point, many of the disciples, here's John 6, 66. Put that together. 
At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus turned around to the 12. Are you all gonna leave also? Can you imagine being asked that? Simon Peter replied, Lord, where are we gonna go? To whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus could do a lot with a Lunchable. Will you trust him with yours? You'll see amazing things in your life as you do. But it isn't just about the amazing things you'll see him do with it. Because he will bring it to a challenge. Not what are you gonna do with the little bit you trust me. What are you gonna do with your life? Jesus doesn't need fans. There are a dime a dozen. And fans walk away when things get hard. What Jesus is looking for is followers. A follower that will repeat kind of what Peter said. Jesus, where else am I gonna go? You alone have the words of life. You're the Holy One of God. I can get a lot of spiritual fixes in a lot of different places, but I won't get the true spiritual completion that I need anywhere else but you. Friends, for some of you, you've been hanging around Jesus for a while. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're in proximity with him. You need to stay in proximity with him. But there will come times in your life where he will look at you and he says, look, I'm doing a lot of good in your life and I want to, I want to bless you. I'm for you, I'm not against you. But I don't need more fans. What I'm looking for is followers. And will you choose me? See, I'm the bread of life. I can help multiply lunch. We can do lunch anytime you want. But I'm the bread of life that will sustain you. Will you choose me? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what you do when you taste? When you walk into a bakery, you can have all the smells in the world and it warms your heart and it's amazing. But until you take a bite and swallow, that's what it means to taste to digest it, to digest him relationally, to say yes to him. For some of you, you may be not ready to do that yet, but I'm telling you, stay in proximity to Jesus. He loves you. He loves you enough to keep pursuing you. He will never quit. And he longs for you to say yes to him. Fans show up for the bread, for the miracles, for the signs, for the wonders. But the followers stick around through it all, even when it's tough. And so Jesus, man, we want to see you do more and more miracles in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you're a God who's active.
captive. You're not dormant. You're not docile. You're not distant. You are dialed into each and every one of us. So Father, I pray that we would see in, in expanding ways your activity in our life, that we would look around, we would recognize it, we would be able to say, man, there's no way that happens except with, without Jesus. And he's so dialed in and, and he's working in my life. But Father, I pray that those signs and your activity would draw us to make a decision to not just be a fan of what you do, but to be a follower of you, to say yes to you. So God, we may not be people who have a whole lot. We got a little bit of talent, a little bit of treasure, a little bit of time. And we wanna bring our lunchable, so to speak, to you and lay it at your feet. Maybe ask the question, God, can you do something with this? And as we all do that, God, you build the church, you leverage the church to have an incredible multiplying impact into our city, into our world. That you could do so much more as we worship you by, by giving to you and, and asking you to multiply it than us trying to figure it out on our own. And so in the days ahead, God, the story of Element City Church May you write the story of multiplication for your kingdom's sake. May you write the story of people saying yes to you for your kingdom's sake. May you write the story of our life individually as we submit to you and ask that you'd use the little bit we got to make a bigger impact than we can ever imagine. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul writes to him who is able to do even more than we can think or imagine. God, may it be so again. As we take this communion, we remember that you took that meal that night and you broke the bread and you said, this is my body because you are the bread of heaven. So as we take this communion, we remember. May we take a moment to reflect, to digest, to taste and see that you're good, that you're good to us, you're good for us, and you have our good in mind as we follow you. God, we want to be a follower, not just a fan. So we remember your body broken, the blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we worship you in this song, God, would you be a way maker? Not just in our lives, may we see your activity, but in and through your church, may you be a miracle worker. Drive back darkness and leverage this church, these people, us, me, for your kingdom's sake, for your story to grow in this city and beyond. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Taste and see that Jesus is really, really good.